Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. I have a very good friend who for years worked for a, uh, actually a world-famous classic, uh, classical music festival in the western part of the United States. And she told me that uh, she had this great boss, a young lady who was brilliant, graduate degrees from Northeastern schools, raised up in the Northeast, had been out West uh, working uh, with this organization for a number of years. And so my friend invited her boss to attend worship services with her at her local church, and she, she accepted. They were good friends. Uh, after the service, uh, they went to lunch together, and her boss said, I had a great, thanks for inviting me. I had a great time this morning. What a bunch of friendly people. I met some people I knew in the community that I, that I didn't realize were a part of your church and made some new friends, and the music was great and the hospitality. But I got to tell you, I was horrified at one thing. I was horrified at the pastor's statement that Jesus is the only way to God. How arrogant. I'm offended. Well, I can understand her feelings, can't you? Uh, To say that Jesus is the only way to God sounds bigoted, it sounds snobbish, it sounds narrow-minded. Many of you here who are checking out the claims of Christ, uh, many of you consider this claim to be arrogant, intolerant. Uh, It it may even be a, a stumbling block to your coming to faith or taking the Christian faith in Christ uh, seriously, uh, even the even the claim of Jesus that he was no less than God come to earth in the form of a man, that he was God, e- even the claim of Jesus to be God, that claim is not as divisive as his claim to being the one way to God uh, the Father. And this this assertion by Jesus uh, or by us as His followers to the culture, tends to bring one or more of three big arguments. And here there, the first one uh, I heard uh, given by one of the New Age teachers, uh, Deepak Chopra, on, on the Oprah Winfrey show several years ago. Uh, they were in a Q&A with the audience, and someone uh, said on issues of salvation, but, it, but isn't Jesus, uh, Jesus said, I am the only way. And Chopra said this, very kindly, great respect, uh, and I quote, He was the only way at the time, but before Jesus, and since then, there have been many others who were the way. And that sounds reasonable. Only problem with that is that's not what Jesus said. He said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me for the time being. He, he didn't say that. He actually, he act, well, no, and, and, he, and he's, he didn't imply that. For the New Testament's written in the, the Koine Greek language. It was the street language of the Roman Empire. And the Greek language uh, is precise. And he was speaking in uh, the present tense. I am, I am. And, and in, in the Greek language... Present tense speaks of an action in the present that continues indefinitely into the future. 
And so what Jesus was saying could accurately be uh, have been translated, I have and am and always will continue to be the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. So Jesus didn't leave us that option. Uh, either Deepak Chopra is correct and others, many others who would hold to the same belief, either they are correct or Jesus is correct. They cannot both be correct. They are not saying the same thing. But that's a common objection. This, this assertion that Jesus is the on, only way also brings a second argument, and it's the argument of sincerity. The argument of sincerity. Uh, this is the way it goes. But that is so narrow, it leaves many, many people out. In fact, billions of people on the planet who are seeking God through other religions, it leaves many, many sincere people who are seeking God through other religions out. Leaves them out. So let's think about this one. This one is based on an assumption. We all have assumptions. Uh, this is based on the faulty assumption that sincere people cannot be wrong. Sincere people cannot be wrong based on that assumption. So let's think about this for a moment. Uh, high school students, let's say you're in chemistry class and it's a lab day and you've got your lab partner Johnny there with you. And uh, on this particular day, your teacher is going to uh, instruct you in um, the nature and use of sulfuric acid. Well, you know, Sulfuric acid is a clear liquid, and there's a beaker in front of each of the lab partners there in the lab of sulfuric acid, a clear beaker with a clear liquid. And so your teacher begins to explain how careful you're going to be and the methods that you're going to follow uh, in the use uh, of uh, this substance, how volatile it is, how dangerous uh, it is. And Johnny turns to you and says, I'm not buying this. He's pulling something on us. Looks like water to me. And before you can do anything, he grabs the beaker and drinks the sulfuric acid. Now, will Johnny's sincerity keep him alive? Will it? No, no, of course not. Of course not. Um, many of us have been sincere and been wrong in the past about things, haven't you? I certainly have. Sincere people can be wrong. So sincerity alone does not get us to God. There's the objection that Jesus was the way at the time, but there have been other ways. There's the objection of sincerity. But there's a third objection and, and that gets at the root of the topic of the talk today, the myth. Christianity is arrogant. Christianity is intolerant. This is terrible to make such uh, a claim. Christians are intolerant. Christians are arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way to God. Well, let's, let's think about this one also. Tolerance is admirable in relationships. Tolerance is admirable in personal relationships, but truth is intolerant of error. Truth is absolutely intolerant of error. Uh, for example, if 2 plus 2 is 4, it cannot also be 23. It cannot also be 23. But um, a person is not thought of as intolerant because he disagrees with this answer and, and he maintains uh, that the only correct answer is 4. We are just intolerant. Now, in our culture, let me be, let me be clear 
those who raise this option easily, and, and those of you who are skeptics here today, you would easily say, well, of course, we believe in objective truth in matters of, of, uh, uh, object, of objective things. You can see and touch and taste and feel matters like mathematics and, and such. We, we understand that. But people decide for themselves what's true in the spiritual realm. That's more of an opinion. Well, I would challenge that assumption. I would challenge that assumption to to say that truth is truth in all realms. What reality is, truth is what best aligns with things as they really are. And we Christians assume that there is a spiritual reality and it's not subjective. And it can be known as well as mathematical truth. So uh, a person must be tolerant of other points of view in other people and their right to hold and uh, defend their positions to be held and heard. However, uh, he cannot be forced in the name of tolerance to agree that all points of view, including those that are mutually contradictory, are equally valid. That's not tolerance, that's nonsense. No one really believes that. For example, if you hold the view that, some of you hold the view that all, all views are, uh, in, in matters of religion and spirituality, are equally valid. And if I hold the view that they're not, can they both be true? Can they both be equally valid? No, 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 no. It's nonsense. You don't believe that. I do not believe you believe that, uh, or we could work that out. Somehow, my view and your view would be equally valid and true. It is, it is not. Uh, the, the position is nonsense. Tolerance is a good word. It implies respect, not agreement, not agreement. Now, we grieve in our culture, in the American culture, that as a society, Christians and, and Buddhists and Muslims and secularists, all of us who are Americans, we have fallen so short of God's ideal of how we treat other human beings that we can't tolerate other views. We can't t- respect people who disagree with us. We respect people who agree with us. We disrespect people who disagree with us. We don't just disagree with the position. We start to demonize the person. We've lost the ability to have civil discourse. Now, some of my friends feel really good about standing up and pounding the table and proclaiming the claims of Christ and the errors of other and and putting down others and it gets personal and they think they're serving God. They're not. What they're really doing is being a jerk. You know, God help us that we don't one day need to go change our sign out there that says jerks for Jesus right here. Unfortunately, sometimes we act like jerks. That's not being prophetic. That's being rude. That's being rude. All human beings are created in the image of God and are loved by God. Those who come to faith in Christ, He adopts His children, but He is fatherly in His attitude toward all human beings and wants them to be in His family. Therefore, every human being deserves our respect and uh, 
no matter how much they disagree with us or disagree with the claims of Christ. Unfortunately, we have wrongly defined tolerance to mean being accepting of all views. But the true definition of tolerance is this, putting up with error. Respecting others while putting up with error. Not accepting error. We don't tolerate what we approve of. We tolerate what we believe to be false or wrong or in error. You see, if disagreement did not exist, tolerance would not be necessary. Disagreement exists. It, it, it exists. And uh, it, it is because real differences exist between people that tolerance becomes necessary. Tolerance being defined as treating others with respect and dignity while fully engaging in the debate of ideas and beliefs. Christianity is, and Christians are not intolerant in this sense that we value the right of individuals to hold and express and even contend for their religious and spiritual beliefs. Um, that's why I get really disturbed when Christians in America, we tend to want to run toward power. We say, there's more Christians than everybody else. We got the majority. We got the votes. We're going to force everybody else to behave like we want them to behave. That's just so you know, that was tried. It didn't work. You don't, you, don't, you don't expand the kingdom of God and the love of Christ by powering up on people, even if you got the votes. So I get really disturbed when I see Christians in communities uh, lobbying and, and powering up to keep other religious groups from opening houses of worship in their community. I get really nervous about that. No, I don't get nervous about that. I hate it. You see, there is either religious liberty for all or there's none at all. Got it? I don't think you're convinced. This crowd kind of agreed. Everybody else is looking at me with those eyes. Okay, really? What are you talking about here? Here's what I'm... Let me just give a great example. Uh, I, I do not agree with the belief system of my Muslim friends. But I'm I'm going to go to the I'm going to go to to the to the wall with them here, uh, on their right to open a house of worship in our community. The Buddhists, the Hindus. See, hmm, there's either religious liberty for all, or there's none at all. None at all. And then we believe, we are tolerant in the sense that we believe in the free debate of ideas, the ability, and, and then, then it's all uh, matters, all settles on the issue of truth and persuasion. Now, I'm a persuader by nature. In fact, one of the personality inventories that I've taken over the years uh, it has all these categories. One of them is called persuader. I'm, my face is right there. They put my picture right there. I'm, I'm, God made me a persuader. I am a, I am a persuader. Well, I had somebody one day said, I, think it, I don't think you should be trying to persuade people. And that I don't think, in fact, I think it's immoral to persuade others. I said, are you trying to persuade me to believe that? See, it's, you, it, 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 the interchange of ideas and the debate of ideas, that's just, that's nature. That cannot be changed. It cannot be changed. We respect and love and care for people who hold other opinions. That's tolerance. But we debate the issues because all, all views are not equally valid. 
a Buddhist can interact with in respect to Hindu while still believing she is mistaken. We tolerate people of e- as of equal value, not necessarily their views. All ideas and values and religious beliefs are not equally uh, valid. They may not all be true, just like 2 plus 2 cannot simultaneously be 4 and 23. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if And Judaism says, no, you're not. They cannot both be true. They cannot both be true. So, those are the arguments. So then why do we Christians assert that Jesus is the only way to God when it sounds so exclusive? It sounds so narrow. Why do we do that? Well, sometimes others view us as arrogant and and we view others as arrogant because we don't understand what they believe or we understand what they believe. We don't understand why they believe it. Why they believe it. Uh, Well, there's three reasons that we believe Jesus is the only way. First of all, jot this down, is the Bible. We believe the Bible to be God's authoritative word, inspired, written word to mankind. We believe it to be authoritative. We believe it to be accurate without any mixture of error. And uh, it is the standard and the final authority for what we are to believe and how we are to behave. As, As followers of Jesus, that's what we uh, believe. And the Bible claims that Jesus is the only way to God. So our holy scriptures tell us that's one of the reasons that we hold to that. The second reason we hold to that is Jesus Himself. Jesus Himself claimed to be the only way to God. Now, Jesus, unlike other great religious teachers, made belief in His divine identity that He Himself was God. He made that the focal point of His teaching. And He made many incredible statements based on that fact. But this one may be the most outrageous claim He ever uttered. For example, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus said, No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. In John chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In John 6, 29, Jesus said, The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. In John 8, 24, uh, Jesus said this, If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Wow. And then Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Other religious leaders tell people and told people, follow me and I'll show you how to find truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. Other religious leaders uh, tell people, follow me and I'll show you the way to salvation. But Jesus said, I am eternal life. Uh, Other religious leaders told people, follow me and I'll show you how to become enlightened. But Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Other religious leaders said, follow me and I'll show you many doors that lead to God. But He said in His Word, I am the door. I am the door. I am the He made outrageous claims. He did not leave us any other option. He says, follow me. So the Bible declares Him to be the only way to God. Jesus Himself frequently, several times made that claim for Himself. And then finally, the apostles in the Bible stated that Jesus is the only way to God. Uh, The clear teaching of Christ's disciples in the Scriptures 
uh, say Jesus was it. Listen to this. Listen to the words of Luke, the historian, the author of the book of Acts in the gospel of Luke in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The, Paul the apostle wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. John the apostle in 1 John chapter 2 verse 23 wrote, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. It is unmistakably clear from the New Testament that the Bible proclaimed Him, Jesus Himself claimed to be, and the apostles proclaimed Jesus to be Lord and Savior, and that the very basis of the Bible uh, message is this, proven by His death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. Now, one other thing about this idea of arrogance, this is why we believe, not because we're arrogant. Christians don't say that because they think they're better than other people or better than people who hold to other religious beliefs. We don't think we're better. In fact, we're the religion that says we are moral and spiritual foul-ups. We're not better than anybody. We have recognized our sin. We are the chief of sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory including uh, glory of God, including me. Including me. In fact, the only way we get to become Christians is by admitting that we're going, we deserve death and hell in the grave. We're so bad. I'm not, not that bad. Yeah, you are. Yes. 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 That we're sinners. And, and, and so we are not arrogant. We have humbled ourselves before God and mankind. We went public with it by being baptized, saying, I need a Savior. Help, I need a Savior. Can't save myself. We're not arrogant. We don't think we're better than you. We think Jesus is. We think He is the way. We think he's, we're not arrogant. We're not arrogant. So Jesus, Jesus only leaves us two options. Either, number one, Jesus was wrong. That's one of the options. Jesus was wrong, and therefore He's not the way to God. He was wrong. He was mistaken. There, and if He was wrong on this, which was obvious, it was not one little thing on the side. If He was wrong on His identity and wrong on salvation then we can't trust any other thing He says. If Jesus was wrong on this, we cannot trust anything that the Bible says about Him. And so we should reject Him. We should turn off the lights, stop giving offerings, close the doors, sell this property, and just go do the best you can till you die because we've lost all hope. If He's wrong, none of this is valid. You understand that, don't you? If Jesus was wrong, now, He could have been wrong two ways. Either He was a liar, He was lying, and if He was, then He's the most evil person who ever existed because He deceived His disciples. He's deceived millions of people. Countless people have died, martyred for their faith in Him. What a horrible being if He was lying. Or He was whacked out. He was nuts. He'd lost His mind. I believe I'm God. You know, C.S. Lewis said he'd be the equivalent of a man who believed himself to be a poached egg. So if he's wrong, he's either a liar or he's nuts, and we shouldn't follow him. Or 
he was correct. He was either wrong or he was correct. And if he's correct, he's the only way to God. Open to all people, open to all people, but the only way to God. But whatever you do, don't take that silly position that says, well, he's one of the ways. He did not leave us that option. He did not leave us that option. So, Pastor, that still sounds too hard. That sounds too narrow to me. Well, let's look at it this way. Uh, we're a church that believes in having lots of babies, right? Right? You, you, you don't know that? You can't say babies, babies, babies. And so uh, uh, they, they keep showing up over the years. Yes. And, uh, and so... Uh, uh, babies everywhere. Now, over the years, we've had many babies who were born uh, with a uh, with a condition early in their first few days, uh, where they were uh, jaundiced. They they turned yellow, they turned yellow, and so uh, when the parents of the babies took them to their pediatrician, he said, um, "This is a potentially devastating condition, but the cure is simple. All they need is." Um, uh, some special lighting and extra fluids to enable the body to get rid of the excess bilirubin, and then they will be just fine. But what if the parents responded by saying, oh, that sounds too simple. Uh, we'd rather do it another way. What if we just took her home and we scrubbed her down really, really good over and over with soap and water and dipped her in bleach? Don't you think that would get her back to the right color? The doctor said, would say, no, no. There's only one way to handle this. It's simple, and it'll handle it, but there's only one way. Well, but they could have replied, yes, but, yes, but that still seems too narrow. What if, what if we just ignore the problem and pretend that everything's okay? Because if we sincerely believe it's going to be okay, everything will work out, right? And the doctor says, no, 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 no. You're going to jeopardize your baby's existence if you do that. Uh, look, whether you like it or not, here's the way to bring her to health. You're hesitant because it sounds too easy, but I've seen time after time that this treatment works. I know what I'm talking about. Trust me. Now, would anybody here accuse those parents of being narrow-minded and arrogant for taking their doctor's advice on how to get their baby well? No, of course not. Of course not. No. The truth is we all have a terminal disease called sin. Separates us from God. And the reason that we cling to Jesus is because He is the great physician. And He is the one who has the only medication to cure us. Now, some scoff at His prescribed treatment as being too easy. There must be another way. And some scoff at His prescription saying that it is elitist. There must be, there must be many other ways. But He says, no, this is not elitist. It's inclusive. It's for all people. I am for all people, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not elitist, open to every single person. Think about it this way. Think about two country clubs. And one club is exclusive and has uh, quite a, uh, a number of requirements for membership. You have to uh, accomplish certain tasks, reach a certain standard, uh, earn your membership, and then, then and only then will you be allowed to enter the country club. 
They, uh, and so despite their best efforts, lots of people can't measure up and they don't get in. They don't get in. This is the description of every other religious system in the world other than Christianity. Some way of working your way to God. But consider another country club that says, we're only available to anyone who wants in. We're only available to them that ask. The doors are wide open. We will never reject you. You want to walk in the door? We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. Rich or poor, black or white, regardless of your ethnic heritage, where you're from, who you are, what your socioeconomic status is, uh, the doors are wide open. Anyone who wants to be a member of this club can be one. Enter through the door. We will never turn you away. That's what life in Jesus is. He is not exclusive. This is not arrogant. This is the way. This is the way. His offer of grace. So, will you put your faith in Jesus or not? I mean, some, some of you, you've been dealing, dealing with this. Will you put your faith in Jesus or not? He claims to be the only way. I think He's right. I think He's right. His free offer of grace, and I think you'll find in Him the one who enables us to embrace the fullness of life here and experience eternity with Him there. Pray with me. Let's pray. There, there are three groups of people I want to call to prayer in this room. The first are those of you who are skeptics. You've been skeptical and, uh, and you've not understood the gospel of Christ, but maybe today it got really, really clear for you. And you're ready to place your faith in Jesus. You're sensing something happening and stirring in your heart, in your soul. Well, that's the Holy Spirit of God seeking to encourage you to open up your life to Christ, turn from your sin, and place your faith in Him. So why don't you do that right now? From your own heart, in your own words. Admit to Him that you also, like me, are a sinful person in whom dwells no good thing, and that you cannot save yourself. You're a sinner who needs a Savior. Tell Him. And now tell Him that you believe He is that Savior. And ask Jesus to apply to you now, personally, what He accomplished when He died on the cross and rose from the dead. Ask Him to come into your heart and life, take over your life, forgive you of your sin, cleanse you, adopt you as His child, give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell you and strengthen you and guide you to live the way that He wants you to live and become the kind of person He wants you to become and to give you the gift of eternal life. Say, Lord Jesus, I have decided to follow You. I, take, I give up control of my life in eternity to the best of my understanding and I give myself to You. Now, if you've just done that, we want to know about it. You can let me know by checking the statement on your communication card. Today I'm becoming a follower of Christ. Or as soon as the service is over, you can go take your card to the encourager table up in here to my right and your left. There'll be some nice people there who will take your card and give you a packet called a Getting Started with Christ packet. It's essential spiritual nutrition for your survival as a believer. Don't leave here without getting that. Don't leave here without getting that. 
There's a second group of people in the room here today. You are Christians. You've already become a follower of Jesus some, at some point in the past, but you're disobedient to God habitually. And I mean, and I'm, what I mean is, you're not even struggling with it. You're like a dead fish in the river, just going with the going with the sin. You can resist anything but temptation. Uh, you are. You have. Your heart is cold toward the Lord in the sense that you don't really want to obey Him. You don't want to pursue a life of holiness. You don't want to pursue a life of godliness and Christ-likeness out of gratitude for the salvation that Jesus gave you. Well, if that's you, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. Here's your only option that's decent, and it is this. Repent. Here's what repentance means. It means a change of mind that results in a change of direction. A change of mind about yourself. I am messing up. I am far from God. I'm so far from Him, I don't even really care. I'm stuck in this sin. I'm in a habitual pattern of ongoing disobedience knowingly. Knowingly. And I need help to repent and return. You change your mind about yourself, about God, and you turn. And then the Bible says you give, you uh, do deeds that give evidence of repentance. It means it shows up in your attitude and your behavior. What does repentance look like on the outside? For some of you, it means you stop living in a sexually active relationship with someone who's not your spouse, you're not married yet. You repent. You stop having sex. You move out, separate. Start. You Both of you start following God. You do that now. You do that now. What does it mean to repent? For some of you, that means you stop all sort of all sexual activity outside of marriage. Now, for some of you, it means you you walk away from pornography and get help. When's the last time you looked at pornography this week? Well, repent. Come on, turn back to Christ. For some of you, it means stop lying to your spouse or to your boss. For some of you, it means that you stop embezzling money from your company. For some of you, um, it means that you start loving your neighbor rather than being hateful. What does repentance look like? Ask Jesus. Repent and then move in that direction. Give deeds that give evidence that you have repented. And so you take a moment. Confess your sin, your disobedience as a child of God to the Lord and tell Him that you repent. Ask for Him to cleanse you and forgive you of all unrighteousness and with open arms to welcome you back. And now grace and power of His Holy Spirit to put one foot in front of the other in loving obedience out of gratitude for His salvation and His love. The third group here are those of you who are walking with Jesus. Now, you're not perfect, and you're still daily struggling with temptations because that's the nature of life. We'll never be free from temptation, but temptation's not sin. You're battling, you're resisting the devil. You're resisting your own fleshly temptations to sin. And basically each day you're loving Jesus and to the best of your ability, even when you slip and fall, the desire of your heart is to love and obey Jesus. Let me just say, 
Amen. Keep walking. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, loving Jesus, thanking Him for His grace, and walking with Him. We need to help. And we're here as a church to help each other follow Jesus. So draw strength from Him and from each other. Lord, thank You for hearing these prayers. Thank You for those who've come to faith in You. Thank You for those who've repented and returned to You. Thank You for those who are walking with You in the Spirit. Grant them grace to not fulfill the desire of the flesh. And Lord, we give You thanks for these things. Lord, we thank You that You've made a way for us. There's a way. Jesus. Only Jesus. And that's all we need. Thank You, Lord Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.